Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're talking to Mr. Pete Blackshaw, CEO of Centrifuge, a startup incubator and syndicate fund of funds created by major institutions in the Cincinnati area, such as Procter & Gamble, Kroger Company, Western and Southern, Great American Insurance, and the major universities in the area, such as University of Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky University. In this episode, we're going to dive into the initiatives that get Pete excited, such as sustainability, the reinvention of supply chains, electrification, and zero waste initiatives. We'll also discuss what it's like creating a startup economy in a city like Cincinnati and why VCs should be investing in the region. The biggest theme or so what I hope you can take away from this conversation is that there's great potential in unexpected places such as Cincinnati to collaborate between big companies and industry and startups and venture capital. Even the Cincinnati airport is in the game, testing new technologies every day. Please enjoy my new conversation with Pete Blackshaw. Pete Blackshaw, welcome to Fast Frontiers. This is amazing. We did it. Two universes colliding at the same time in almost the same space. Virtual, of course. Narrow miss. We almost were able to do this physically in the same spot. Better late than never. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for being on Fast Frontiers. Here in Cincinnati, Ohio, Pete Blackshaw, CEO of Centrifuge. There are so many things to talk about. But first, by special request, uh, when people found out that you were going to be on Fast Frontiers, the first question was, hey, you guys go back a long way. Tell, what's, what's your history with Pedro? <laughs> Where are the bodies buried? Where are the bodies? Well, I don't know if we're going to get into all that, but yeah, <laughs> maybe some of it. I was at the time, I was at Blue Chip Venture Company, which I joined in 98. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was the internet.com bubble. We didn't know about a bust. Um, and we met because you were off to launch a new company. I'll let you take over from there. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, first off, I'll say that I kind of trip and, tripped into Cincinnati uh, by way of, um, you know, after business school, was heading back to the West Coast and decided to get my first job at Procter & Gamble and wanted to get the... Uh, I always had entrepreneurial ambitions, but I wanted to wear the brand straight jacket, if you will, or kind of get those basics and had a chance to do traditional branding, launched, you know, launched a few products, bounty napkins, kind of a impress wrap, and then was the first person to raise my hand to be the um, kind of the, the co-lead of a uh, member back then we called it interactive marketing, not digital marketing, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. which I still think was a better term. We should try to resurrect it. And yeah, it was like the early co-founder, if you will, of PNG's interactive marketing effort. And during that, that time, it stumbled into a really big insight around the power of feedback on the internet. It sounds like such a no-brainer today, but looking back, it was such a big epiphany. And I know you later got into that, you know, through through share this. But yeah, this notion that um, the internet's the world's greatest focus group, and there's probably big opportunities to tap into that. Uh, to monetize it, to translate it into data, to translate it into ASP services, and hence was the big idea of Planet Feedback, which I was moonlighting at Proctor for about nine months until I knew I could raise money. And that's where you and I kind of bumped into each other because I was uh, working the circuit and 
blue chip was the local money. And I had managed to get some money in New York and you guys joined in and were fantastic board members. And that was a, quite a journey. I would love to say it was like an easy win startup, but got bloodied, battered, merged, merged again, but we had a good exit and I learned a ton. Yes. And you were and yet I- survived, yet survived. I survived. And, <laughs> yes. And, and some people made money. Some people made money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Count it as a W. Count it as a W. You learn a lot through the mistakes, I'll tell you. Yeah, so ultimately you were the Nielsen, Nielsen Buzz Metrics, as it was called, after yeah. those various incarnations. And then off to Switzerland. Yeah. With Nestle. And you yeah, were there was, for, was it eight years, right? Yeah, nearly eight years. And that was... um yeah, I've got this kind of a schizophrenic mix between these startup experiences and big companies like P&G, Nestle, and Nielsen. And right now at Centrifuge, we'll come back, we'll come to this in a moment, but I'm kind of sitting in the middle. But yeah, Nestle was a great experience. And, you know, this was a company that we were actually monitoring through the tool that I developed, um, that we developed uh, to track online buzz, word of mouth, and Nestle had a lot of complicated issues. I'll put it very diplomatically, but one thing I learned is that if you have supply chain issues or controversies, those issues will find life through the internet. And in fact, uh, Greenpeace had gone after Nestle big time on a sustainable supply chain issue, palm oil. And to some extent, they brought the company to its knees and the board like practically threw its hands up in the air. And that's what kind of created my job. They created a VP level head of digital. They wanted to bring in an outsider. And then they made it kind of a cross between reporting both to the global CMO and to the head of public policy, all the folks that were in charge of those really complicated issues around supply chain and corporate responsibility. And it was a fantastic job. I learned a ton. It seeded a lot of the thoughts that I've now brought back to Cincinnati. But, you know, I think they had 2,000 brands from Nespresso to Purina. And it was a really great, great, great experience. Some of us live vicariously. Some actually went there to Vevey, Switzerland, Montreux, Switzerland. You and I have a picture next That's to a giant, giant fork, I think it was, that we were. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I got to present for Share This at the, exactly, in the Miles Davis Convention Center. I love and, that. I went there every and brought my gu- I brought my guitar. And came out playing like Led Zeppelin. That was the beginning of the presentation. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great place to do it. The most epic trip. Yeah. So I got to, pl- I got to say I played Mantra. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then lo and behold, Centrifuge looking for a neat new CEO and your name emerges. And that was oh, three years ago now. Yeah. About three uh, years ago now. Centrifuge, for those who don't know or remember, that's the uh, the startup collaboration company I'll let Pete tell you a little bit more about, but I was involved with in the early days and raised the first two funds, about $120 million that we used to invest in other early stage venture funds to kind of grow the ecosystem in the region. So I was there the first four years, remained active on the board there. As any organization, Centrifuge has grown, changed, adapted. So tell us a little bit more about Citrifuse today from your vantage point. Well, listen, I think the core mission remains the same. We are trying to create a world-class startup economy, innovation economy in greater Cincinnati. And we do it through kind of three core services. We um, 
We have a storefront of services for startups. So at whatever stage you are, whether it's concept or you've got the team or you've got the you've got the seed money and now you want to get the series A, we will help you at any stage of the journey. We are, um, you know, kind of a one-stop shop for a range of services. And part of that advantage is that because we're an ecosystem builder, we can route you to other services. There is a wealth of offering within Cincy, uh, Cincinnati from refinery to Cincy Tech to a bunch of accelerators to a world-class venture network, kind of mentor network. And we will route you accordingly. And we've had a lot of success. I think we've got about 150 to 200 members. It's practically free because <laughs> we're subsidized by the state and others. So that's part, part of it is like we help startups win. We also have, and this is what you help to create, and I think is what makes our model so substantially unique is this syndicate fund of funds. We invest in the best innovation and the innovators in the world. And the theory is that that will heighten visibility into local deal flow, provide the innovation that our large companies need, some desperately need to really reinvent their path to the future. You know, and then the third part is that we drive a lot of we drive a lot of corporate innovation. And the theory being that if we help PNG or Scripps or Kroger or Western and Southern innovate, in all likelihood, they're going to look to the startup economy to to grow. And that's typically what happens. They go outside, you know, they look outside and we're trying to create that wonderful symbiotic connection between the startups that are eager to kind of solve the future and the big companies that really need that help often from the little, the little startup. And I, and I learned that very clearly at Nestle where the vast majority of innovation in the food space was coming from the long tail, not the big the big, the Danones or the Unilevers. It was the long tail of small startups that were leveraging digital speed, capability, know-how, can do to kind of reinvent the world. So we're kind of in that mashup business. But one one of the companies in the ecosystem, an investor and supporter is AAA. So AAA has, there are a number of large kind of regional AAA companies, member companies. And the one in Cincinnati is actually based in Delaware, but they they're active in this region. They've been very oh, active. They are very active on sourcing innovation. As a matter of fact, they are working on a project with one of our portfolio companies. I just learned last week, uh, which is fantastic. So whether you're an entrepreneur in the region or even outside the region, you know, some of the events you might mention, Pete, a couple of the events that you've had, industry-focused events, because I know uh, we have a company in Vancouver, based in Vancouver that came out. Uh, for one of the events here, and they were just blown away. And made yeah, a ton of programming, programming is a really big deal. We have an event called Startup Cincy Week, which is probably our most comprehensive. I think we had about 1,800 attendees, 60 speakers, you know, you know, a bunch of panels. It was about 50% diverse. So we really take pride in the fact that there's a big symbiotic relationship between diversity and innovation. And yeah, we, we attract a lot of outsiders that kind of come in to get a taste of what we have to offer in our, in our, in our region. And the one thing that's great about Cincinnati, and I say this as a native Californian, once you visit this place, you're hooked. I mean, it is, there are so many latent advantages you know, of this region. If you're going to start a company, everybody told me to get out to Silicon Valley after I left Procter & Gamble uh, when I raised money, but I said, no, I'm going to do it down in what I call the digital Rhine which since then has become, I think, one of the most dynamic entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial urban hubs in the country, bar none. And um, yeah, but that's what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. I'm a little sad that the secret's out, quite frankly, because now, you know, post COVID, et cetera, I always thought of the location here as actually a strategic advantage, right? And I looked for entrepreneurs who understood it's a strategic advantage because they would, if somebody said, oh, but can you hire tech talent in Cincinnati? You know, my comeback was, can you hire tech talent in Silicon Valley, right? You have a whole different set of compet- competitors. So it's getting um, more complicated. It seems like everybody's figuring this out now, right? There, there are you know, more and more it, new companies here. It's getting trickier and more complex, but I generally think it's all working to our advantage. Today, I just jumped in, bumped into someone at Union Hall who's part of a drive uh, capital portfolio company, all of, and I said, how many people are, are working um, here in Cincinnati? She said, 30 of their employees are here in Cincinnati. I heard there's a top Google exec that's building a, building a house in Hyde Park because he wants to live in Cincinnati. And so, you know, contrary, when, you know, when I, when, when I was first working with you 20 years ago, it was kind of black or white, right? You know, you're either, you know, option door number one, it's like you're literally all in Cincinnati or you're not. And now I think there's going to be some really interesting hybrid models that I think will work to our advantage. You can find that tech team anywhere. Hopefully you can find it here drawing on the talent pool, but it's going to get a very, very interesting. And I intend to turn that into an opportunity. Yeah, and recently you just reminded me, you know, Jobs Ohio recruited Intel building a, a chip fab here in just outside of Columbus. So it's, it's amazing. amazing. Well, not only that, I mean, it's, it's the world's biggest chip fab and it's also the world's most greenest chip manufacturing. And it, that's just going to have massive implications for the entire Midwest supply chain talent pool, good news for Ohio State, great news for UC. I mean, it'll be like the gift that keeps on giving. But most importantly, from a perceptions perspective, I mean, you know, what we need to do is reduce dissonance. You talk to someone on the coast, Boston, San Francisco, LA, and you say, we have the world's largest chip plant in the Rust Belt. It changes the way they think in the same way when you tell them that our airport is now the number one e-commerce distribution hub in the country uh, maybe the world, I got to double check on that. It changes the way people think and it opens them up to the possibility of doing business here. Yeah, absolutely. So what you mentioned the airport and I'm actually going to do a tour of of that, uh, of the Amazon's facility tomorrow, actually. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I'm but you're, you're more carpool. up to carpool. Yeah, um, you're more up to speed on some of the speeds and feeds and dimensions and the impact of that. Can you share? Um, yeah, it- it's, it's first off, it's one of the most exciting stories. When I left for Switzerland, um, the airport was not in good shape. It was a bit of a laughing stock. It was losing passenger seats. You know, Delta was slowing down, and you know, it was a bit of a I wouldn't laughing stock would be maybe too harsh a word, but it certainly wasn't that first source of pride. Now it is one of the fastest growing airports in the world. It's definitely the fastest growing air cargo hub. And if you add Amazon plus DHL, both of which consider uh, that hub as their headquarters, you know, that is a massive amount of, of, of shipping that goes through it. And when you add Wayfair, UPS, and there's like a lot of like uh, kind of supply chain operations that are there. This is why I call it the great supply way. It's the great supply way to America and to the world. And I believe that it's always been an advantage for us, but 
as supply chains reinvent themselves, become more resilient, become more sustainable, we have the opportunity to kind of reinvent the future right here in Cincinnati. And the airport is also inspiring because it's led by a woman named Candace McGraw, who I think has really almost defied gravity in terms of what is possible. You know, almost like taking the initiative, calling up Jeff Bezos and saying, come to Cincinnati. And she's got a Lieutenant Brian Cobb, who is reinventing the rules of pilots with startups. They do 80 pilots at a time with startups. Let me say that again. And to everybody from P&G and Kroger and Western and Southern listening, they do 80 pilots at a time with startups and they do it really, really well. And that's why startups across the world are looking at the airport as a platform, as a platform, Thor Drive and others, Dropwater. And again, Lausant, um, which is really on the bleeding edge of IoT. And that is a great competitive advantage. I think the hubs that win have startup platforms that are welcoming um, and really, really fast with other startups. And we hope to get Proctor and Kroger in that same place. And they're doing some great work to that. But the airport is really setting a bar that is getting attention across the world. It's amazing. Brian Cobb from CVG Airport is... Um... It's going to be Love a guest that. here on Fast Frontier. And it's it's amazing. You'd be blown away. You wouldn't think, what, an airport? But they are innovating on every dimension possible. They want to know, what what can we do? What's possible? So, yeah. Sustainability. I mean, airports are, people don't realize this, um, but yeah, airports are on the bleeding edge of sustainability, whether inside the building, how they deal with plastics, or whether they're thinking about alternative jet fuels. And yeah, it's it's breathtaking. And I really want to make sure that we take big advantage of that. It also means that we have to take a zip code agnostic approach. We can't be parochial. We can't just talk about Ohio. We have to talk about Ohio and Kentucky and Indianapolis, which is really difficult because a lot of the incentives at the state level are just are very, very provincial. Like you've got to, it only, you can only help like Ohio jobs. And, and I'm trying to helicopter up and say, hey, listen, growth mindset, my friends, you know, think about the great supply way. It can feed the entire Midwest and then some. And that's been my big strategy. And I think people are really starting to uh, pick up on it in a big way. Yeah, it's uh, very tricky to navigate and uh, good for you for doing that and staying above that. What are some of the other initiatives that you have been, that, that has you excited uh, about the future of the region and Centrifuge? Well, one of the interesting initiatives that I had a chance to lead in the wake of COVID, Centrifuge and Cincy Tech were asked to chair um, a couple task force, um, one on the future of supply chains, which I chaired, Mike Venerable from Cincy Tech chaired one on biohealth. And obviously there's some really strong incumbent strengths there with you know UC Health, Children's and the like. Um, but I really tackled supply chain. And what was interesting is that we had all the major heads of supply chain for you know DHL, PNG, Cintas, I mean, you name it, uh, Mercy Health, which is a huge player. And yeah, we kind of defined where, what the future would look like. And the thing that really surprised me, Tim, and I did not anticipate this, and you may think, okay, he's got a California bias, but I did not, is that 80% of the recos from our future of supply chain task force were about green. Whether it was last mile delivery, you know, the big thing is like carbon neutral last mile delivery. We had a whole track of work around food from seed to plate. And the real story behind 80 acres, which just raised $161 million, which for about a month was our number one, our largest raise, they are reinventing food supply chains. 
healthy supply chains, which maps to what Kroger's priority, which is the future of fresh. And so you've got this whole reinvention of supply chains on the fresh and sustainable side. And then we got really deep on circular economy, which is a massive opportunity for everyone. That's how do we get into biodegradable plastics? How do we uh, do downcycling, upcycling? And that is a big reason why I've been almost to a fault, probably driving my team crazy, but have been adamant that we have got to claim the green space. We're already in a city that is getting at the top of all these national scorecards on, you know, most sustainable city by new builds, by zoo, by you name it, parks, trails. But there is a almost mind boggling amount of money that is being poured into this sector. And it's not just the ESG funds. It's just any fund that wants to make money realizes that this is where the buck is going. Just think about, for example, of the $16 billion in money that's going to Ohio, $8 billion going into Kentucky on infrastructure. If you really get into the weeds of that legislation, which both Republicans and Democrats supported, there's a lot of green incentives <laughs> uh, from transportation to um, electrification, you name it. There's also a lot of money that's pouring into broadband. Of course, that's great for entrepreneurs. What? Well, what is going to go in that broadband? And so just a lot of uh, upside for us if we develop a strategy. And I think what we need to do, and this is what's keeping me up at night, because topics like green and sustainability are really broad, what within those sectors can we win? And the two that I am thinking about the most are zero waste, because I think Procter, Kroger, everyone's trying to crack the code on that. Kroger's probably leaning in the most. And, um, and then electrification. I just think that is a monster opportunity. We've seen some really good results from players like Electrada, but we could become a major hub for advanced green manufacturing, battery and the like, but we've got to kind of envision what that world looks like. But I think electrification is going to transform everything and it goes way beyond cars and batteries. I would like to see our region really kind of grab that as aggressively as possible. So if you were taking those messages and, and thinking specifically about the audience that are investors, VCs, that Centrifuge invested in any other early stage venture firms around the country, and you had a minute with them to tell them about Cincinnati and why they should invest here, what would you, what would you want to tell them? Far greener than you would ever imagine. Will to move incredibly fast. Corporations that are prepared to pilot platforms like the airport or even the zoo that will get you out of the gate really, really fast with, with learning. Manageable size. I mean, if we were the size of Chicago, honestly, I think it would be difficult for us to innovate. But we're not so small that we're parochial. It's the perfect size. And again, this proximity to the great supply way is an enormous competitive advantage. And keep in mind that part of that great supply way is the transactional side. It's another big reason why we are pushing fintech, which the banks and the insurance companies are heavily supporting. We've seen success up in Columbus, but that is a whole opportunity as well. I do think that whole e-commerce transactional side of the great supply way is going to be an enormous advantage. But I would say, come on down. We will help you. We will line up pilots really, really fast. I guarantee any company that comes to this region is going to see their valuation uh, take off at a much greater rate. I think you, you hit on the, the key thing there. You know, any early stage company and its investors, you know, most concerned about new customers and customer acquisition. So, and uh, scaling. To, right. So to the extent that the 
shareholders, stakeholders in Cincinnati help by becoming customers, just like the airport's doing, that's the biggest thing they can do to help companies. And more companies and investors will start figuring that out. And we've still got, I know I, know I sound like a, a big cheerleader. We've got some work to do there. I do think big companies still struggle with how to de-bureaucratize, decalcify. I saw it at Nestle all the time, but I do believe there's the will to drive that change. And you see a lot of that. I have a new boss who heads up um, new business and ventures at Procter & Gamble, Guy Persaud, but there's definitely a mind shift in, and I think a lot of this came out of COVID, this notion that localized supply chains are a big competitive advantage. And I do think there's a recognition that getting into that local deal flow of startups is a competitive advantage. This isn't like feel good, help the community stuff. This is actually competitive advantage. How do you move a lot faster? If you were, uh, and you were to look back, reflect on the three, not that you are, but reflecting on the three years and, and had to uh, give advice and some lessons learned that you learned that maybe you were surprised by to, to your uh, successor, what would those be? I think number one, like seize the moment. I mean, I did not anticipate COVID. It was a bit scary from a sustainability, from a financial sustainability of our model, but it also opened the doors to everything we always wanted to do. Everybody started to think and act like a startup. And that allowed us to kind of change the conversation and the level of speed and how we make things, you know, really, really happen. I think two, like be very clear on where you have a right to win. You know, I came to this job and we were kind of like good at everything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're really good at a couple of things or we could get really good. But finding that strategic focus, but not at the exclusion of, you know, someone who walks through the door who has something that's not part of your plan. You want to help everybody be successful. But you recognize that there are certain areas where a concentration of talent, technology and capital is going to give you an outsized um, advantage. And then I would say three, just anything you can do to kind of nurture talent. And I do believe we're at a tipping point where talent is eyeing startups. I mean, you talk, we, we, we talk um, about the great resignation, but that's also an opportunity. That means people are thinking differently about the things that they can create and build in this world. And folks that are in my position should be thinking about how do I take that, you know, people finally kind of like, leaving those comfortable jobs and turn those into startup opportunities. I mean, we should just be gobbling that up right now and not, you know, crying about the fact that, you know, people, you know, you know it's an opportunity. People are kind of at that pivot point, that inflection point where they're like I was at PNG, where I left a great job, fantastic job, but I, but I saw a huge opportunity and whether it's Cincinnati, Miami, across the land, a red carpet is being laid out to entrepreneurs. This is the moment. And our job as ecosystem builders is to make sure that those entrepreneurs, those people who have that inclination, know about those opportunities. And obviously I have a bias towards greater Cincinnati, but there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. Never been a better time to be in VC in my view. I agree a thousand percent. I've been witnessing this, observing the same thing. More young folks are saying, hey, I can work from anywhere. Ge- geography is no longer a constraint. Uh, yeah, I have ultimate flex- flexibility and opportunity. And so if, if we have thousands and thousands of new companies that are created out, uh, as a result of all this, that is a terrific outcome. And uh, I think we'll all benefit from it. And great problems to solve, right? I mean, 
extreme challenges drive the best innovation. We've got really complicated issues related to sustainability, diversity, health, you name it. But you know, it only takes a few seconds on TikTok to realize there's a generation that's emerging that is wickedly creative at solving problems, getting the message out and filling those critical gaps. And we need to nurture those entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And then that points to one other strategic asset that we have in the region that I don't think we really touched on, which is the universities. Huge. Huge. Absolutely. I mean, I don't even know where to begin on that. I mean, honestly, was I thinking about University of Cincinnati as a big strategic competitive advantage when I took this job? No, but boy, they're like on a rocket ship. They're creating a whole digital futures. They have 18, 19. Um, the head of the engineering department is one of the sharpest guys I've ever met. And he really knows sustainability, which got me really excited. Um, the business school is starting to think more about building accelerators. And we've had a lot of their interns that are fantastic. And that's just one of them. And then Miami's actually got, has actually been in the game much longer. I'm setting up a meeting with the new head of Xavier. NKU, I predict, is going to be a national powerhouse in supply chain. I predict Amazon's going to probably create a couple buildings over there because it works for them because it's next door. But hey, would they, would they acquire a university? Maybe. I mean, uh, oh, I, oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I do think universities are in for a big surprise in terms of the fundamental nature of their business model. But um, first things first, I would say that the greater Cincinnati talent pool is going to be fantastic. And I think, yeah, everything you see, David Adams and others, they're doing Pinto critical in terms of building that talent pipeline. And I love Greg Crawford's on my board from Miami, and they're on the bleeding edge of sustainability, health, and so many different areas. But we got to, but our job is we got to make that talent look at Cincinnati as the first place to go, right? Because again, to your point, a lot of flexibility to go to other places, you know, ours to lose. And if we do lose them, then I think we just kind of need to figure out a way of boomeranging them back. I left for eight years, but I came back because I concluded this was the best place to be. I wanted to be closer to Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, the typical call that I would get is somebody who says, hey, I grew up in the area. I've been on the West Coast. It's been eight years. I got married. And you can almost complete their sentence. We're about to have our first child. You know, I want to I come back to Cincinnati. What's happening? What's happening in the startup scene? And it used to be kind of hard. To, I mean, yeah, it, it used to be hard I mean, to answer that. Now I just say, hey, let me introduce you to Centrifuge. And they're like, holy smokes. I mean, I, I, I crack people up because I, you know, in Europe, I used to visit every urban core and Europe's, Europe's an amazing place and incredible, like old cities, but there is no urban district that inspires me more than over the Rhine. And every time you blink, there's a new brew pub or some crazy artist that's done something really creative with design. And again, it's just a fantastic place. If, you know, I call it the innovation trifecta, design, technology, um, and food. And it's all here and it just keeps evolving and that's perfect for entrepreneurs. Yeah, so if you haven't been to Cincinnati, I encourage you, this is one of the coolest, hottest places to be. A thousand turn of the century buildings and some of the history of, of beer brewing in the US all right in what's called over the Rhine. And you're hearing and, this from a guy who took surfing at UC Santa Cruz as an undergraduate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did, uh, before you came on board, Pete, you know the story about this. Uh, you know, we invested in tech stars and 
the the deal I made with David Cohen was, hey, we're gonna invest, but we want you to do a founder con in Cincinnati. And so they did a founder con here and you know, thousands of entrepreneurs visiting 80, I think it was 85% of which never never been to Cincinnati and just blown away. Probably one of the best ones they've ever had. Because well, since, I, you know, the city rolled out the red carpet. As you said, we have so many resources that big cities have, but everybody's connected. You can you can also know everybody too. Right. Big There's... opportunity. In fact, I'm, I'm, it's funny you say that because uh, I really would like to see um, a big obsession of mine is how do we identify one or two tentpole events like a, similar to like a South by Southwest or CES that have national exposure but are delivered locally. And I'm kind of I'm working on a concept right now called Metaverse or Metacurse. We've talked about a green CES. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm in a dialogue with the mayor who's, by the way, a huge champion of our um, internet or kind of digital economy. And, um, but yeah, I'm hoping that by, you know, mid-year, we're going to identify something like that, that really inspires the world to kind of come here, you know, but it's not just about Cincinnati, it's just that we're hosting it. But I think those things make a huge difference. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I think there's, there are a lot of really good ideas and one of them is going to catch fire at some point soon. And um, it'll be really exciting. Uh, Pete, any final word for entrepreneurs listening to this today about how they can get help from you and Centrifuge? My final word is that resources are everywhere. You know, when I first jumped in, I'd always complain about, are there enough VCs, mentors, money? I think that's different now. I just think there's um, an abundancy of resources out there, whether it's Tim's Friend Refinery or Cincy Tech or Kinetic Ventures or H Ventures or Lightship, one of the top Black-owned VCs, and there's accelerators. So there's no real excuse now not to try to jump in. And, you know, this is kind of a seller's market right now. So if you're worried about, oh my gosh, like, will I be able to bounce back into the traditional workforce? The answer is yeah, definitely. Um, but now's the time to figure it out and jump out. And there's a lot of great ideas. And we certainly, if, if you don't know what the idea is, come on in, we'll kind of help you find one. But yeah, this is an inflection point. We've never seen one like this. Don't miss out and you'll grow really, really fast. And the number of kind of smart people that are out there to help you will guarantee that even if your startup doesn't work and many don't, um, you'll grow at a much, much faster rate. So don't seize the moment. We're here to help. Awesome. Pete? Thank you for joining. We'll have your contact information in the show notes. So if people need to get a hold of you, they'll know how to do it and expect your uh, email inbox to get flooded with entrepreneurs reaching out. Thanks again for being on Fast Frontiers. Thanks for everything you do, Tim. Thank you for listening to our fifth season of Fast Frontiers. We appreciate our listeners for your continued support. We continue to have an amazing time connecting with new and old friends to bring you great conversations about accelerating innovation in unexpected places. We will be back with season six later this summer. Thank you again and see you soon. The Fast Frontiers podcast is brought to you by Refinery Ventures. Our producer is Abby Fittis. Audio engineering by Astronomic Audio and our podcast platform is Casted.